0: Well, shit show part two is <laughs> in <the> back. Lo- <laughs> We're still here. We're, We're still the tired. dogs are still out. Yay. Um, I guess the only like cold open ish material I have is as you know, Leah, me and you, we've been busy, very busy, separately busy, very busy. You've been going to conventions for your company. I'm about to go to conventions for my company and it. Brings up the question because you went to go see Brad Paisley. I did because um, the company you work for
1: hired him for hired him for a, a private party. show.
0: So it brings up the question: if you had the authority or playing a convention, which artist would you book and why?
1: Hmm. What is the theme of this convention? Because that is important. It is. Let's say.
0: Fangirls. A fangirl. A one direction
1: reunion. Yeah. That's hands down. It's gotta be a one direction reunion because it would just like heads would explode.
0: Dude. Or at least very singularly. Yeah. No, that's a good call. That's one hundred percent a good call. I think if I was in that position, first off, the first thing came to mind was like IT, like an IT convention, which I did not work in IT and i would just like to put nine inch nails because I, I feel like those dudes would like undo their ties tie them on their heads and just go fucking wild
1: i was thinking weird al when you said it convention because that would also <laughs> fit
0: that that would that would work as well that would work as well uh, but that's really all i have for a cold open it's gonna be short luckily w- your episode's so long
1: right i will say brad paisley was probably the drunkest crowd i have ever seen in my oh, life oh
0: let me tell you so locally me and leah we have a uh, artist from this area called phil vassar let me tell you the the nonprofit i work with when he comes into town this was worse the, these ladies the ladies in the crowd 40 50 they drink a little bit and then they try to dance with Phil Vassar on stage.
1: More than a little bit. <laughs> me, we, and we Leah, it's, me and we bartended before. We and Lee have bartended.
0: We have watched we have watched some crazy things happen on that stage. <laughs> but it's a great charity. He's, it's for a good cause. You know, yeah. if you wanna if you wanna drink and you wanna dance with Phil Vassar for a good cause, who am I to say no?
1: Or if you wanna throw your phone at Brad Paisley. <laughs> he took this girl's phone, which I'm pretty sure she she works. For corporate, um, and her mom and her boyfriend were also there because I think they're Grapevine locals. Uh-huh. So she he pulls up her phone and takes a selfie, which cute artists do all the time. Then he f- goes through her text <gasps> and sees her sees mommy in her contacts, and so she, he says something, and she's like, "She's here." The girl is drunk. Her name's Morgan. Yeah. Morgan is drunk, like drunk. She's like, "My mom is here." And so her mom calls Morgan's phone that's in Brad's hand. He answers it on speakerphone for the entire arena to hear. And they have a whole conversation. Well, then her boyfriend, who's also there, called. It was just like, it was.
0: Jeez. It was
1: really embarrassing how drunk all three people involved in this story were. (laughs) I actually think I filmed it. That's incredible. Find her. I do have
0: to say one of my favorite pastimes. Is being in those situations and knowing I just had a drink. I'm just hanging out.
1: I wasn't even drinking. And,
0: and literally, But I'm just saying, I'm just enjoying my drink. Chilling. And watching people get so shit-faced. And watching what they do. That's almost better than the night of drinking.
1: It really, In those situations it is because they're very entertaining.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. that's I'm there for that. And Absolutely there for it.
1: It was a safe environment because no one was driving because we were busted in. So. Right. That's even better. It was great. Anyway, I'm Beth And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You.
0: Where are they getting a dub in a CPS executive meeting? No. <laughs> bitch, don't touch my thermostat. The <laughs> ghost be like, pull up before I haul you. Let me turn down the thermostat. Who is
1: this bad. We're on page one, guys. This is she will rock you. Uh there's no No uh, record breaking happening in the last no. hour, so nothing to talk about. At the top of the episode But welcome to Chorus 2 Of the She Thanksgiving dinner (laughs) If you didn't figure it out Last week Or by the The episode title That you're probably Looking at right now We're talking about The Cranberries Our unsung Irish 90s Heroes Um Which is only I only chose Because for some reason The station that Our coach puts on 90% of the time In the gym in the mornings <laughs> it plays he, zombie really? yes it'll play it's it's like a a big mix and it's zombies in there a it, lot it's
0: better what than what they're playing in the gym currently oh my god
1: i'm not gonna get into it on this podcast someone but needs to come talk to our yes our y front desk girls because yes they're unhinged because they i tried uh, they're not unhinged in a good way Yeah, it's not what you're thinking i guarantee whatever you're thinking it's not that. it's not that but whatever station sean puts on in the morning they play zombie a lot and i was like i know nothing about the cranberries other than like two songs yeah so that was the choice and then it ended up being a thanksgiving theme so before i even start we're just throwing in a generic trigger warning for everything because this story has it all uh everything from sexual assault to eating disorders to death so oh. like i said real depressing. we're gonna start our story with dolores oriordan was born September 6, 1971 in Ballybricken, Ireland. Ballybricken. Just outside of That's Limerick. That's a lovely name. Ballybricken. She was the youngest of nine. Uh, two had died in infancy, so Jeez. she had s- there were seven living children. Her father, Terry, worked as a farm laborer until he had a motorbike accident in 1968, which left him brain damaged. Oh, God. And no longer able to work. Her mother worked as a school caterer. Um, and shockingly, the family's Roman Catholic. Who would have guessed?
0: Who would have thought? Uh,
1: in 1995, she told Rolling Stone, I have a lot of secrets about my childhood. And she really did. Um, she was sexually molested by an older man who was a friend of the family when she was a child. Jeez. And if that wasn't enough, at the age of seven, she watched her sister accidentally burn down their family home. <gasps> holy shit plus her dad was in this motorbike accident before she was born so like very traumatic childhood yeah no kidding um and irish culture at the time really forced her to make her own way in life she said my mom always had a softer spot for the boys as a lot of irish women do if you were a girl you'd have to sing or wear a pretty dress but boys could just sit there and be brilliant for sitting there and for being boys it makes you that little bit more forward pushy and i was always singing Not really sure what the singing has to do with anything, but she didn't necessarily love any part of her childhood at Mm,
0: all. That's sad.
1: She grew up very much tomboy, spent most of her time with boys. I think she—I don't know exactly the breakdown of her siblings, but I think it was mostly boys. Um, And this is something that continues throughout her entire life, uh, because she ultimately joins a band of all boys. Mm -hmm. And unlike a lot of artists that we've talked about, popular music did not play into her formative years because she wasn't allowed to listen to it. She grew up in a good Roman Catholic household. Man, they were keeping the law. She pretty much listened to Catholic hymns and traditional Irish songs.
0: Well some there's some pretty traditional Irish songs, I will say.
1: But still. Like that that was it. Um still, yeah. she did learn to yodel from her dad, who was a country music fan. Well there you go. And obviously church music played a big role.
0: The first yodeling?
1: No, just in her <laughs> in her musical I was about to say, development. I was like, wait, I, I don't remember any church yodeling. No. But
0: that's not my youth group brain.
1: The first instrument that she learned to play, and this is a first on the podcast, was the church organ.
0: Wow. Which is not an easy
1: first instrument no, to it learn is not. to play.
0: It is not.
1: Uh, she played that, f- I guess, in church for her church for like eight years growing up. And ultimately, she did transition to learning to play piano as well. And at the age of 12, she wrote her first song called Calling, which is about having a crush on a much older man. Hmm. So fast forward to 1990. She's trying to do mental math. She's like 19 at the time. Okay. She, a friend tells her that there's a local band who just lost their lead singer. Lead singer's name is Niall Quinn. And the name of this band is The Cranberry Sauce. <laughs> see
0: see that's what happens when it's just guys. It's the, just the
1: names. The cranberry saw us, which was said really fast with an Irish accent. The cranberry sauce. Sounds like the cranberry sauce. Which they got called a lot. So wait, it was called the cranberries or it was called the cranberry sauce? The cranberry saw us. I Two literally words. thought it was
0: cranberry sauce no, up to this point. That's
1: why it's a terrible band name. Yeah. The cranberry saw us. Anyway, and it's the cranberry sauce. It's the cranberry sauce, so let's let's pause here and go back to how the cranberry saw us started. So it starts with two brothers, Noel and Mike Hogan, and in the mid nineteen eighties they meet a guy in Fergal Lawler, and take a guess at how these three bros met. Prison. <laughs> you won't guess it. Pub. Guarantee you. School. No. Uh. Labor yard. No. Nope.
0: Okay, I'm out.
1: Breakdancing. <laughs> because apparently, in the mid 80s, this was a huge craze in Ireland. Like, groups of kids would just meet on the street with a boombox and just breakdance in their tracksuits. Like, I love it. Something out of a movie. Um, so the, the two brothers met Fergal breakdancing. And they became instant like BFFs. The three grew up together um, and would share their love of the 1980s English indie music culture mm. and really fell in love with punk's DIY ethic. Lawler got his first drum kit as a Christmas present when he was about 17, so mm-hmm. kind of late to the game as far as like how most of these stories go. And two months later, Mike got his first bass and Niall got his first guitar. So in mid-1989, Mike's 16... Noel's 18 and Fergal Lawler's 18. They meet up with Niall Quinn. Niall Quinn. He's really not important to the story. And they make the cranberry sauce. They release an EP.
0: They make the cranberry sauce. They make
1: the cranberry sauce. They release an EP, which is called Anything, in January 1990. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Niall quit. That's it. And you've caught up.
0: Niall's gone.
1: So... Up until this point, they were kind of a novelty band. They were just there vibing, breakdancing, I guess. I don't know what they were doing. They weren't doing much. Yeah. And they were like, you know, we really need to add a female singer to this band because they were going for a shimmering, dreamy sound. Hmm. Not really sure what prompted that. Really hard to find a lot of backstory on the Cranberries, which is why this is going to be a short episode. Uh. So ultimately, Dolores auditions to join the band and... She, Mike says, Dolores came and sang a few songs she would written. We were blown away that this small town girl from Limerick had such an amazing voice. The fact that she wasn't already in a band was a miracle. And she says, The songs that the band had at the time were not my taste, but I saw the potential in them. It was easy for me because I knew no matter what their first impression was of me, the minute I opened my mouth, they were going to be impressed. Aww. So she does this audition. They don't give her like yes, no, anything. They give her a track that just has four looping chords on it. And they're like, take this track, write us a song, like melody and lyrics and come back when you're done. Mm-hmm. And so she comes back with what ultimately goes on to be Linger.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: It's The first song she writes this band, they're like, you are hired. Mm-hmm. Um, the song was inspired by her, boy- her first boyfriend who broke her heart. He was in the army, the Irish army, and was stationed in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And he would write her these like really heartfelt letters during his deployment. Uh, Obviously, they didn't work out. Yeah. But it made for a great song for the band. Uh, When she started writing these personal songs, personal lyrics, she never really expected it to go anywhere. Especially Mm -hmm. not in Ireland, because in Ireland at the time, things like that were not big. She said that she was really worried that they were going to be considered soppy teenage crap, especially in Ireland, because what's happening in Ireland at the time? You two. That's um, what's popular.
0: I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say the IRA, but yes.
1: That's coming. Um, okay. <laughs> don't worry. That <laughs> actually plays a big part in their story. Um, she, like most bands, are young men. Their lyrics are just like angry ranting, yeah. or they're funny. They're not writing these emotional heartbreak songs. And so after hearing what she did with the, the chords that they gave her, the band was like, yes, we would like this. You are hired. Mm -hmm. And so they bring her on to record a four track demo called water circle, which they just record locally in like a small studio somewhere in, in Limerick. And they, they do really fast turnaround because they want to start sending it to labels to get their name out. And while they're doing this, They play their first show together ever in a basement bar. And according to drummer Fergal Lawler, he said, we just went up, we had six songs. Dolores was turned to the side. Noel Mike and I had our heads down. It was just like, okay, let's get this over with so that'll be it. And they did not do a good job. (laughs) <laughs> it was a really bad first show. No. But they had to get it out. Like they said yeah. some of the songs didn't even have words. They were just up there jamming. Like that's pretty much what this band is at this point. It's mm-hmm. a jam band. But after this first show, I guess their hopes got really high because Noel quits his job to work on the band full time. Interesting choice. I don't know what vibes he was going off of because the vibes were not there yet. Yeah. But no kidding. his job is to just take the demo of the water circle and send it out to record labels and when he's sending out these tapes one of the labels comes back addressed to the cranberries and s- for some reason they decide this is, uh, don't this is question what they're going to change their name to y- you say yep that's our name so um they are officially the cranberries which is good because the cranberry Way saw us is a better. stupid name from this process they get five major labels interested and There's more like halfway interested, I guess, because they wind up throwing a showcase in London so that they can play for all these label reps. Mm -hmm. Um, At this point, they've been together six months. They have literally six songs, but 32 record company executives flew out to see them live. Are you kidding me? Not kidding. Uh, Crazily enough, they end up signing with U2's record label. Okay. I guess they wanted to stay Irish.
0: That's cohesive.
1: Uh, the label is called Island Records. Oh, yep. I know Island. Uh, and so, Under Island, in fall 1991, so all this is happening at the same time. Yeah, of, of our artists. Interesting how that happens. Smashing Pumpkins. They released their first EP called Uncertain. And they follow this EP with uh, like a bunch of sets of three-week tours. They'll do three weeks on, like a little bit of time off, supporting headliners such as Duran Duran. And they very quickly learned that, like, there's a big difference between starting a band and playing bars in Limerick, Ireland and touring. Yeah. Like they were not anywhere near ready for tour life. It was like a culture shock to them. They These people had never really been to a big city. Right. Before this. Um, and <laughs> when they were asked about this process, they said, we weren't very good live. We used to just stand there very, very still. And things always went wrong. Things exploded all the time. Exploded. I don't know what these explosions are, but apparently things exploded.
0: That's um, that's very that's that's a word you have to explore more.
1: Noel unpack. did not blame Noel. Uh, and because they had no money, they would sleep in the van, and I guess they would all sleep sitting up, and Dolores would sleep across their laps, which is kind of cute. That's adorable. But sounds really uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, but that's also cute. It is cute. That's a nice little thing. In
1: 1992. They go into the studio to record their first full album, but it does not go well. But it's not their fault. The sessions end up like kind of being not canceled but put on hold because the producer gets fired in the middle of this because Hmm. he's trying to add dance beats and weird like vocal effects that wouldn't
0: work for them. Yeah,
1: to their songs, and everyone's like, "Um, no." So they fire him. They hire a new team. They resumed recording as planned, and in 1993, they released their debut album called Everybody Else is Doing It, So Why Can't We? That's cute. Great. Great title. Yeah. The second single ends up being Linger, which is first released in the UK, peaks at number 94, and their label just kind of went ham on promoting this this whole album for 1993. Like They were very creative in how they did this. They would record sampler cassettes. So it would have like just snippets of the different songs in the album. Mm -hmm. They would go to concerts where they thought people might like the cranberries and just hand them out to the crowd. Be like, you might like this band. You might like this band. Smart.
0: That's that's very boots to the ground.
1: Genius. They would mail postcards to addresses that they got from magazine subscriptions. And the most genius move of all is they pushed the singles to alternative and college radio Rather than the mainstream radio. Yeah. Because they knew they weren't going to compete. Not where I saw that
0: sentence going, by the way. (laughs) I thought they were going to get like a sponsorship with Ocean Spray, but...
1: Well, that's the next bullet point. No way. They did not want that. The whole time, they're very, very careful not to do any cheesy food tie-ins, like mailing people cranberry sauce or cranberry juice, because they wanted to distance themselves from the food and not come across as like a gimmicky cheesy band.
0: Yeah, okay, that's fair.
1: Um... Why the fuck did you name your band The Cranberries in the first place? Well, it's called The Cranberries Saw Us originally. It's about, It's a story. Why the fuck is the band called <laughs> The Cranberries Saw Us? Anyway, whatever. Um. So at first, like, despite all these efforts, it's not really going great. They're not getting a lot of attention, a lot of radio play. But then all of a sudden... Pretty much overnight, for no really discernible reason other than all the previous combined efforts just, I guess, worked. Mm -hmm. They got, in classic 90s fashion, real big, real fast. Yep. They go on a tour. When they start their tour, they are the opening act for Suede. And sometime during this tour, which is not a long tour, they catch the attention of MTV, who put their videos into heavy rotation. And halfway through this tour... The running order is switched and Suede is now opening for the Cranberries, Mm. which can you imagine?
0: That would suck. If you
1: started as a headlining band halfway through, you were demoted. Like that's a really shitty move. Yeah, But whatever. Uh, In late 93, they, they come to the U.S. to tour and Linger starts to get really, really heavy rotation on college radio stations. It, linger peaks at number three in ireland reaches number eight in the u.s hot 100 it stays there for 24 weeks which they're blown away by this because um as dolores says it's very difficult to break in europe unless you break in england it's very difficult to break in england if you're Irish. irish that's i said Irish. let me start that over if you're billy eilish <laughs> it's very difficult to break in europe unless you break in england and it's very difficult to break in england if you're irish and why is because of history basically and we weren't from dublin so we had all the odds against us when we started which is why we went to london where people recognized a different voice and a band that writes good pop songs and because they were able to break in england as an irish band they were then able to break in the u.s like yeah. it's just a domino effect it makes sense yeah in 1994 so very quickly as as usual they dropped their sophomore album no need to argue And everyone was like, oh, there's no way they can do it twice. It's going to be a sophomore slump. It was not. It was an even bigger hit than the first record. It peaks at number six in the U.S. charts. Way outsold their first album. Within a year, it went triple platinum. And this is the album that Zombie's on. Mm -hmm. And we are going to pause and talk about Zombie for a second because you mentioned the IRA. Yes. The IRA is what inspired this song. I think I knew that. It's really sad, actually. So, during the Troubles, which, because we are going to need a brief uh, introduction to Irish history, the Troubles are a conflict, or were a conflict, in Northern Ireland that went on for about 30 years, from the 60s to the late 90s, and in the Troubles, more than 3,500 people died, tens of thousands were injured, like, this went on for 30 years, we couldn't really go down the street without fear of being bombed, Yeah, because the IRA was devoted to removing British forces from Northern Ireland, unifying Ireland, and just killed people to make this happen. Um, And so they were on tour in Ireland at the time, I believe. And one incident in particular just really affected Dolores. On March 20th, 1993, just four days before I was born, Jonathan Ball, age three, and Tim Perry, age 12, were killed in an IRA bombing in Warrington, in northwest england sorry they god. were on tour in england um when the ira hid two bombs in trash cans and detonated them the two boys were out shopping to buy mother's day cards oh god on one of uh, that town's busiest streets and they just wrong place wrong time that's terrible um and she heard this on the news when they were on tour and it just she said it stuck with her for months she thought about it like every hour for months because it was just so fucked up that these two kids yeah were just shopping minding their own business and they died um and when she wrote this song the label was like um you can't release this she's like why the fuck not and they're like it's too political and she's like i don't fucking care like we're gonna release this song yeah yeah they didn't want to be on the album much less a single and she pushed really really hard for it to be a single and eventually she won their former manager alan kovac um said that they they had literally written her a one million dollar check they were like we'll pay you for this to not release it you can take this money and run and this this song will never see the light of day but you will have a million dollars and she tore it up in their face good for her and said no we're gonna do this he said dolores was a very small very fragile person but she was very opinionated her belief that she was an international artist and she wanted to break the break to the rest of the world and Zombie was part of that evolution. She felt the need to expand beyond I love you, you love me and write about what was happening in Ireland at the time. Over time, they eventually pushed and we decided to release it. So they, the release of this song actually is part of the path that led to the IRA's ceasefire the following year in Hmm. 94. In 1994, Zombie was the most played song ever on alternative radio in the history of America and Further down the line in 1998, the Cranberries were invited to perform Zombie alongside uh, the IRA's political leaders, John Hume, not not IRA, Northern Ireland's political leaders, John Hume and David Trimble at the Nobel Peace Prize ceremony. So like, oh, that's nice because she didn't refuse or she refused to accept like a payout basically to shut up. Yeah. Northern Ireland had a, a peace ceremony. Like, what the hell? ripple effect. This album as a whole just kind of marked a shift in their tone. They, they found themselves sonically. I mean, when they dropped their first album, they were only a band for like 18 months at that point. Right. They didn't know what they were doing. Um, And this album, they really pushed themselves to make harder music, more meaningful music, deeper music. It ends up going five times platinum in Canada, platinum in Switzerland, hmm. seven times platinum in the U.S. Like... It is a defining album of the '90s. Yeah. In May 1995, the Cranberries had planned an impromptu free acoustic set for 3,000 people at the Sylvan Theater in D.C. Uh, this show was going to be put on by the local radio station WHFS, which had paid to hire five police officers because it was supposed to be a little, a little acoustic right. show. Well, uh, very quickly this got very out of hand. And organizers were like, um, we fucked up because 10,000 people showed Holy up shit. for a 3,000 person show. The show starts 40 minutes late and like right as they are start like coming out, some morons start stage diving. <laughs> I love s- it. Crowd surfing. And, um, they canceled the show. Because, because <gasps> you stage diving. Because people were there was too many people. There were seven thousand more people than they were supposed to.
0: Yeah, let it go. Let's see. Let's see what happens.
1: Well, then, so when they canceled it, they obviously had to announce to the crowd: the cranberries are not coming. You need to go home. This started a riot. Yeah. People started That'll throwing it. rocks, food, beer bottles at the police officers. More members jumped on stage. Someone stole Dolores' guitar off the stage. Jeez, um, they're pissed. Basically, they had to call a riot team. It was a whole thing, not a good press. Also, for why did they
0: hire just five policemen for three thousand people? That's also not. A it lot. was
1: supposed to be a really chill acoustic show, and it turned into much more. I don't really know what the point of that story is. I just think it, that's how big they are. Like, yeah, at at this point in history. Um. So at this time, it's mid-95, they are Ireland's biggest musical export since U2. Not a lot of bands make it from Ireland yes, <laughs> to this, this large of a stage. November 1995, the Cranberries won Best Song for Zombie at the MTV Europe Music Awards, beating out Michael Jackson's You're Not Alone. Hmm. Big achievement. Their third album, To the Faithful Departed, was released in April 1996, this does pretty well it's their third album it peaks at number two in the uk number four in the u.s it sold four million copies in six weeks went double platinum in the u.s but like it really failed to match the sales of their first two albums yeah it's hard it's hard it was also ripped to shreds in the press because this is this is a super political album like Where they pushed the envelope with zombie before, yeah, they really went all out because they write songs called Bosnia, War Child. They put real gunshots in a song called "I Just Shot John Lennon." Oh, geez. Yeah, it pissed a lot of people off. Yeah, but they continue to sell albums. By mid '96, their combined albums sold more than 22 million copies. Um, and then I have no other way to put it, but then the band just starts to fall apart in 96 they have all intentions of touring they get to Australia they have to cancel the Australian leg of the tour because Dolores injures her knee during uh, a previous show date in Europe they try to resume it in August 96 with the North American leg Mm -hmm. they never finish it they cancel the European leg they don't really give a reason other than Dolores' ill health. Come to find out, she was like extremely exhausted. She's suffering insomnia. She's paranoid. She's anorexic. She at mm. the time only weighed ninety one pounds. Holy cow. When she's little, she's like five feet tall, but you shouldn't be weighing ninety one pounds. Yeah. Um she also just didn't like the press following her and invading every single aspect of her private life. Right. Um this pretty much the band was like enough like we're either gonna if we continue to go down this path we're gonna break up or kill each other so they just collectively decide to take a one-year hiatus and see what's see what they feel at the end of the year yeah so they chill for a year and in 1998 they end up getting back together they record a new album in april 1999 they release bury the hatchet the first single off that album is promises and it becomes the only single from the album to chart in the u.s and their last charting u.s single before they like fade away into this hiatus one last hurrah before their their hiatus is they go on a 110 date world tour which is one hell of a last hurrah yeah before a hiatus um They were the first artist to partner with Ticketmaster.com and sell tickets for a tour exclusively online. So we can thank the Cranberries for all of our headaches now and all the fucking Ticketmaster fees we got to pay. Thanks, guys.
0: (laughs) Had to be someone, though. It
1: had to be someone. So they they do take a hiatus. They do decide to stay together. October 2001, they released another album called wake up and smell the coffee they're just kind of vibing as a band Mm -hmm. until january 20 nope january 2003 following advice from their legal team the cranberries split from their record label mca i don't know when they switched there from island i don't know if mca is part of island who knows um but they were really really unhappy with the way that they promoted wake up and smell the coffee because it it didn't even it did nothing yeah Barely scratched the surface of charting. But
0: once again, going back to the Smashing Pumpkins and this being their issue too.
1: It's 2003. It's 2003. I agree. So after they leave MCA and mm-hmm. because it's 2003, they're never able to duplicate the early success they saw in the 90s. Um, even though their sound kept getting edgier and punkier and they never lost their core found base. Uh, it just, the market wasn't right. We see this every time we cover a 90s band. Yeah. Like there are very few artists who are able to transition from the 90s to 2000s and stay relevant. Correct. So they take this as a sign in 2003 to like take a hiatus, focus on their individual careers. Some of them start a family and what they had recorded for their sixth studio album, they just scrapped. Like it's gone. It's in the trash. They announced initially a two year sabbatical and they just said, Dolores tells the press, like we've been together for 13 years. It's a much needed break. We were getting predictable, lacking in a challenge. Like it's time for us to just take a breather and experiment. Yeah. And so they take a break. They remain on good terms and like in regular contact with each other. There's no ill will. It's just time to take a break. Mm -hmm. So during this, it ends up being a six-year hiatus. A little longer oh, than they okay. planned. Yeah. Dolores starts collaborating with other musicians. She launches a solo career. Her debut solo album is called Are You Listening? She goes on a world tour. She's she's doing her thing. Noel Hogan starts a band called Mono Band. This man should not be allowed to Why name anything. Why is he anything. making names? He needs to stop. <laughs> um, he writes all the instrumentation in his own studio and develops quote a new way of working with a with a programmer i don't know what that means couldn't find any context for what it means i'm gonna assume he did something cool in april 2006 mike hogan and his wife opened a cafe called the sage cafe in limerick city it won a bunch of awards but unfortunately it did close in 2017 oh that sucks i don't know why um because they're brothers he also played bass with mono band because he can't do anything without his brother. No. And then Fergal, the drummer, he just is there. He's there. He's there. He, he does have an album, but like that's all I can find that he did in this time. So after they take this nice little break, they do reunite in January 2009 to celebrate Dolores O'Riordan becoming an honorary patron of the University Philosophical Society of Trinity College in Dublin. <laughs> That's cool. Sounds like a very fancy award. Yes. Um. At the time, everyone's like, "They're reunited!" Oh my god! And they're like, "No, no, we're just we're just here to celebrate this." Yeah. But then in August, they're like, "Just kidding! We're Never actually mind. reunited." They, they they were totally
0: pulling a, a Van oh, Halen. We're us, no. They're pulling no, a Van no, no, Halen. No, 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 no. We're
1: not back together. Just kidding! We're actually back together. Um. They announced that they would be reuniting for a North American and European tour. They were like, "And it's gonna be a." one hell of a tour because we're going to play cranberries stuff and dolores is going to play her solo stuff Hmm. so like
0: let's go at
1: it and i just feel the need to throw in that at this point in the career they're being managed by danny goldberg former manager of nirvana because nirvana is well over at this point yeah in 2011 the original water circle demo tape emerged like, mm-hmm. someone had kept one of these, I guess, in their basement for-
0: For all those years?
1: For 20 years. And um, it's believed to be the first appearance of the Cranberries with Dolores on vocals. This gets sold on eBay. Nice. <laughs> for $1,400, which is just cool. I feel like it would go for- I'm shocked it only went for $1,500. Yeah. I say fourteen. It was it was fourteen ninety nine ninety five. So fifteen hundred dollars. Like if it went today, it would be a lot more. Mhm. Uh, they work on another album called Roses. They record this one in Canada. And randomly, out of the blue, Dolores starts suing Noel in October twenty thirteen. Well, that's a twist. I dug so hard to try to find what this case was over. There is no evidence. They kept, whoever signed an NDA on this thing has kept their promise. Wow. There is nothing. That's fair
0: That's unfortunate.
1: But it was in court for two years. And in July 2015, they threw it out. And the two remained good friends the entire time. <laughs> so I don't, what the hell? I don't know what this case they is about. They were friends the entire time? Yes. They were still in the band together the entire time. What the f- fuck but she's suing him over something i want to know what the fuck happened but i would like to know what the fuck happened one of those things that we'll never know so in october 2016 the cranberries received a bmi award in london for three million radio plays in the u.s of their just their single dreams from the debut album um which is a crazy achievement to be played three million times in the radio in november 2017 they go on a small arena tour in china which they ultimately end up having to cancel because Dolores gets a slip disc in her back. Mm. So that's November. Christmas comes, passes. The Cranberries are still recording. Dolores, this is, this is, you know, 2017. So Dolores Mm -hmm. would record stuff at home and send Noel her vocal tracks through email. And like they're working on this stuff together on January 14th. She emailed him a bunch of new songs and she flew to London to mix an album with her side project called D-A-R-K. I don't know why it's abbreviated like that. It spells dark. And then unfortunately at one twelve a.m. on January 15th, um, she left this fr- a friend a very excited email where she was like, I just got my recordings back for this new album. They sound fucking terribly good. Uh, she was super excited. And then at 2 a.m. she calls her mom. And then later that night, she unexpectedly dies. She's dead? She's dead. What? Yes. So on January 15th, 2018, she died unexpectedly in her hotel room in London. Um, It was ultimately released that uh, they did various tests on her.
0: I have no memory of her dying. And
1: it was ruled that she had drowned in her hotel room bathtub due to alcohol poisoning. God. So, understandably, this tears the rest of the band up
0: yeah no kidding they
1: they put they were working on kind of working on an album just like to the side with her her solo projects um they table that for a while they ultimately do dig up the demos that she was working on Mm -hmm. and they find them on her hard drive from her computer at home in new york and mike hogan says we're gonna release these recordings as an album and that's it that's the end of the cranberries we're not doing this without her like this wow. is what she would have wanted
0: i didn't know she died i didn't either until i started researching this i have no
1: recollection Me of neither. her passing um so they end up calling the album in the end because they're, they nice. had already written a song called in the end which is like that's crazy really creepy foreshadowing they put that song last in the album and he said it's just kind of summed up the whole album and the whole band because it's definitely the end of us so we've called it that. And it didn't win, but it was nominated for Best Rock Album at the Grammy Awards that year. Jeez. So probably the most abrupt ending we've had to an episode. Um, because they haven't right. done anything, but um Wild. As far as the legacy, I think they're an underappreciated band from the nineties. Like you, you think nineties, you think Nirvana, you think Pearl Jam, you think um I had Alice in Chains here. Yeah. You think all these grunge bands and cranberries were there on the edge of grunge. Right. But they didn't have the same influences that, that the nineties grunge bands of the, the Washington state area did because they grew up in Ireland and they were much more influenced by Irish groups and their, the political landscape of Ireland and they shaped the nineties, whether, People acknowledge her or not, like,
0: dude, that's wild. Just, I'm I'm literally while you're talking, just looking this up because I yeah literally I literally cannot no, believe she passed.
1: I had no idea either until I googled. It. I was like, what the fuck, she's dead. But wild. I have no good way to wrap this up because that is literally the most abrupt ending to any episode we've ever Right. <laughs> Surprise. Um. So that is the cranberries. Very short episode, but. Very important to the landscape yes. of the
0: 90s. 100%. Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Good Pods. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shewaraku.com. There you'll find our socials, our show notes, contact us in our merch. Other than that, don't do drugs, don't do drugs.